No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring too much. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Marsh, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. Today, we welcome Dr. Deandra Poe. She is a licensed master social worker, a therapist for an organization helping to end human trafficking, and the founder of Glass Soldier, a data-driven organization dedicated to the elimination of sexual assault in the military. Dr. Poe is a survivor, advocate, and educator. Deandra, welcome to No Gray Zone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I like to start at the very beginning. So if you would please just share a little bit of your background that led to the creation of Glass Soldier. So it didn't just start with me enlisting in the military or commissioning in the military. It actually started prior to I was spouse first, my first marriage to my husband. That's my new word. I stole that from somebody, my husband. <laughs> I like that, by the way. I think we should just incorporate that in lexicon across the data, right? Anybody who was a former husband, it's a husband. So <laughs> my husband was enlisted in the military. And as a spouse, just being a part of that culture is kind of what drove me to become a member of the military. I was an FRG leader throughout his career. And it just became really important to me that this was my family. I understood the culture from a spouse perspective, but I also saw a lot of the things that were wrong, even within the FRG, as it related to spouses and families, domestic violence, things that were going on. So I wind up becoming very good friends with one of his commanders. And in the, in the divorce, I got the commander and he got to move on. So his commander became a very good friend of mine and a mentor someone who nurtured my career going forward, helping me get into the ROTC program. So in 2011, I graduated from Bowie State University here in Maryland, commissioned and off to my first duty station at Fort Stewart, Georgia. And this is kind of where the sordid tale of my survivorship started in the military. I arrived at Fort Stewart in December of 2011 And in January, 2012, I was assaulted by another officer in my home. So, and the reason why I say that, because I want people to understand that, I guess the typical thought process of an assault or even someone that, you know, realizing or understanding that sometimes it's, it's more often than someone that, you know, but the violation for me was that it was in my home and my children were there and my children were asleep. It was a big part of my healing process and the journey for my whole entire family. So in 2012, they moved me to Fort Hood, Texas, supposedly for my safety. 
inadvertently, Fort Hood was not the safe place that I was thinking of in that aspect. In 2014, I had my trial and I've got some form of justice, but at the same exact time, I felt incredibly isolated and alone in my, the rest of my journey. Absolutely. And that's when Glass Soldier came to mind in 2014, as I was awaiting the results of the trial, the verdict or his guilty verdict. And that was kind of like what propelled me to, I can't be the only person going through this. Absolutely. And it's hard, I think, for a lot of our listeners to understand, one, that justice does not move quick at all. As you indicated, your report was 2012, and it wasn't until 2014 that you even got to the trial. And the other part, I think that is almost just seems to defy logic, is that you make a report for the violation against you and the violation of the sanctity of your home. And the response is, that you have to move and your family has to move. I know it wasn't the intent, obviously, but it seems like you're getting punished and your family is the one who's getting punished for making the report about the violation to you. Absolutely. And then you factor in your children who are preteens, teenagers, have no idea what's going on. I did not tell my children mm-hmm. at the time what had happened. Only reason I had the conversation with them as I was forced to because the defense subpoenaed my children. Oh my goodness. So they were now part of the process. So here I am having this conversation with my 13 year old son, who in his mind is the protector of his mom. Right. There's this, there was a, an aspect of this that I was not prepared for. The mother bear in me definitely came out. Mm-hmm. There were just emotions and things that I had to deal with, forcibly deal with that I wasn't ready, nor did nothing prior to this would prepare you for that. And nothing afterward gave me the skills or the know-how to know what to do as a mother, as a soldier. It was just all new paved road for me. Well, and you've been working hard to make sure that nobody has to pave that road again on their own and alone. And that is a main part of Glass Soldier. So could you talk about what the main missions of Glass Soldier are? So initially, I wanted this to be a response to reporting. I was really focused, laser focused on the reporting aspect of sexual assault and sexual harassment. It was part of my capstone work and my doctoral studies. And then it just kind of blossomed into a few other things. So really what we do is kind of threefold. We have the research aspect of it where we are talking to service members across all branches as we represent every single branch in the military to include our reserves and National Guard to really understand what they want in terms of change and reporting and culture. The other aspect is the technology, trying to develop a way for service members to be able to report safely outside of the DOD so that we can reduce the retaliation that happens when someone comes forward. And then our third part is our initiatives that really address the mental health aspect of MST, military sexual trauma, and how that relates to a host of other issues that veterans face, which include suicide, substance abuse, homelessness. So it's kind of threefold what we're we're going after. Very big, lofty goals. Absolutely. And goals that 
need to be achieved somewhere along the line, but we know it's, it's a lot of work to get there. So I want to break down a couple of the missions of those threefold parts of Glass Soldier and talking first about the trauma or the long-term repercussions that come with MST. And one of the things that I know Glass Soldier has set up four core workshops that deal with a lot of the trauma that comes along with military sexual trauma. Can you explain what those four core workshops are and how somebody can enroll or learn more about them? Absolutely. So they, one of them that I talk about, which a lot of people, some people may know is PTSD and how that relates to MST. But we talk about PTSD and complex PTSD. For those that don't know, complex PTSD is just the constant exposure to trauma in different forms. So it may not be just a person who's been raped or assaulted once, but someone who's also been exposed to other trauma prior to military or while they're serving. So add combat into that or their job stressors, things like that. So all of my workshops are centered around my story. And I talk about PTSD and CPTSD as it relates to my story about my delayed symptoms, the signs, things that leaders missed. The goal of all of the workshops is to really understand the pain points from the leader's perspectives so that we can do implementable change right now not just waiting for Congress or policy. So I talk about the the signs and symptoms and delays that I went through. I didn't even really understand what was going on with my body. Again, all new pathways that I had to navigate for myself. The other workshops I talk about is boundaries, professional boundaries, which is again, a part of my journey, not having leaders really understand boundaries and the trauma response that comes along with someone setting up boundaries, healthy boundaries, why you can't cross my boundaries, the respect level, because customs and courtesies are very important in the military. So how do you set healthy boundaries when someone by rank is telling you that you have to do something that may violate your core, your personal beliefs? I talk about the IRC recommendations, which you know is complex in itself, over 80 IRC recommendations they came out with and how leaders right now can implement those changes, some of those changes right now as it relates to dealing with sexual assault, sexual harassment. We talk about the cultural norms. This one is probably one of my favorites because culture is a huge driver of how things are, especially with the military being a microcosm of our larger society, but still small enough that we have the ability to change the culture from the inside and not let societal issues to affect so much in such a a pervasive way. As leaders, service members, commanders, they are in control of the environment. They dictate the environment. So that's one of my favorite. And as of recently, I know this probably catch you off guard. I'm adding moral injury workshop to the overall goal because moral injury is also very, very important, ties into the culture and how secondary trauma plays effect. For those that you know may not even be the victims of assault, but how that secondary and moral injury can affect service members that have to see this and witness this and what that looks like from a leader's perspective. Those are all the workshops and the goals are all on our website. Anyone who's interested in having me come and speak can go to the website and put in a request 
to have me come as long as they, you know, know when a date and how many people I'll be speaking in front of. It's just that easy. We like easy, (laughs) but you mentioned the IRC, which is the independent review commission and Lynn Rosenthal we had on last year for no gray zone. So we are big fans. And I do recommend as Dr. Poe said, it had 80 recommendations, but it is a worthwhile read for the report because it breaks down a lot of a lot of the systematic issues and concerns. And it based it a lot on survivor interviews, which I think have been sometimes left out of other recommendations. A lot of times it's been done by recommendations from those who investigate or prosecute and haven't had a lot of the input from survivors. Mm-hmm. But so here's my question though. So we know the IRC came out and we know in December of last year, Congress passed the laws adopting many of those IRC recommendations with regard to how investigations and prosecutions of sexual assault will now be conducted in the military. And in January, the president signed the law now criminalizing sexual harassment in the military. So do you think those changes that have happened are all that's needed to address the changes for sexual assault in the military when it comes to investigation and prosecution? Or do you think there's some more work that needs to be done or a combination of both? (laughs) I wish it was as simple as as saying that. I I wish there was a blanket, you know, to say that it is an end-all be-all or it covers everything. Unfortunately, it doesn't. I am grateful that, you know, we've started this journey, but I think someone famous once said that, you know, the path to a a journey with a thousand steps starts with one foot or something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. Either way, (laughs) I'm not good at quotes. The point is, is that it starts somewhere and it's a great start. However, I guess what I'm trying to say is boots on the ground are affected by decision makers, again, who are not down there. So it's great that our leadership is engaged and really took the time after a bad incident, it's just still very reactionary to to me. What we're looking for from our organization's perspective is prevention, not just let's react to criminalizing, you know, sexual harassment, but what are we doing to stop sexual harassment and sexual assault? So there is still a lot of work to be done. And even though we had previous policies that criminalize assault and now harassment, The accountability piece is definitely key. If we don't have accountability and consistency in those who violate these laws, it means nothing. It absolutely goes nowhere if there's no accountability and consistent accountability across the board. Meaning specialists does it wrong, he gets punished. Lieutenant Colonel does it wrong, he gets punished. There has to be consistency because it just tells the victims that It just depends on who assaults me, whether I get justice or not. Absolutely. In the civilian world, I struggle with the same kind of components is can justice be equal across the plane, regardless of anybody's race, economic advantages, positions that they hold or anything else. And and I think you're right. We need to ensure that there is equal accountability, no matter the status of the victim or the status of the perpetrator. And you mentioned another uh, key point, and I am a big believer of education is prevention. Correct. 
and, and your part about yeah. the IRC is great when it comes to identifying how we need to respond differently when when the report comes in, but what we need to do to even prevent that initial report. I mean, ideally, I would love to put myself out of business as a sexual assault prosecutor <laughs> and, and not have to worry about these kinds of crimes coming in. And so Glass Soldier, I know you, you spent a large part of the organization focusing on data collection and research. What are you finding with regard to education, with training, with prevention? If you go on our website, you'll see the Shared Data Pledge. One of the things that I don't think that people realize is that when the statistics come out, they release the, the statistics in terms of rank, who's being assaulted. A lot of the conversation is it's a junior enlisted service members, they're female, they're under the age of 24, things like that. That's great. But there's still some hidden data in there. What we don't know is where. Of course, when Fort Hood happened, everyone was like laser focused. Fort Hood is the worst base and this is happening, you know, here and they have this pervasive issue and, you know, everyone had to pull back the curtain when Fort Hood not realizing that in 2018, 20,000 service members reported sexual assault. They didn't all come from Port Hood. So we're still missing data. And for us, that's where are these assaults happening? That data isn't released to the public. We don't know demographic information in terms of race. Who is being assaulted? And at what rate? We also don't know anything about the LGBTQ community when it comes to assaults as they identify or don't identify. The statistics are not shared across the branches and they're inconsistent in how they collect data. The Navy doesn't collect the same as the Army. Army doesn't collect the same as the Air Force when it comes to statistical data and how they collect demographic information. So for us on the research end, I think it's crucial to understand where our assaults are happening. It's my belief that bad leadership follows bad behavior. Bad behavior follows bad leadership. So where is this happening? It's important for people to understand that transparency. And I really want the transparency to reveal the problem so that it can be honed in on like they did Fort Hood. So I just don't want Fort Hood to be the only standard or you know everyone to just be like, Fort Hood is a bad place. But that's just the army. We haven't even addressed the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, and a lot of people forget about the Coast Guard at times, but I know their numbers are not as high because their force is small. But again, the Army has a larger force than the Navy. That doesn't mean that they don't have problems. Right. Absolutely. And we can't also think that just because a problem's been identified and worked on in Fort Hood, that that's going to solve it elsewhere. We had to do the full investigation into that one and thought, oh, look, we've solved this issue now. And, but I think it comes down to what you said, you know, bad leadership follows bad behavior and bad behavior follows bad leadership. And, and hopefully with more data collection and more transparency, we can start to identify those issues because it's the same in any career field, right? This isn't something that is just isolated to the military. They're bad apples in every single career field. And, and it's identifying the bad apple. Correct. I mean, we, we could, this, these workshops can be taught to fire departments. They can be taught to police departments. They can be taught at construction sites. They can be taught to corporate America. 
anywhere there's an opportunity for power to be exerted over someone, there's an opportunity for harassment and assault to wiggle its way into an organization and just create a cancer. And again, it's always about power and control. We already know that it's about power and control. So what happens uh, when someone in power and control has the ability to to do these things and, and create the culture that it's okay to do that. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next point. <laughs> and that was in December of last year, the Dr. DeAndre Poe Impact Center opened. And although I did my research on it, <laughs> the audience doesn't have the same ability. So I'm hoping you can explain what the goals of the center are. And the follow-up to that after you explain the goals is how can like-minded nonprofits get involved in the collaboration process? Yes, um, I was so excited and humbled all at the same time. So our Impact Center is in Austin, Texas. It is a wonderful, wonderful space that we felt was necessary. When we first started off, obviously, we started in the middle of the pandemic, December of 2020. I think it was still like new, but everyone, you know, it still had that new car smell on it. Coronavirus still had like, you know, so everyone was like, is it, is it a thing? Is it not a thing? And it was getting worse. So we found that there was a lot of places that would either overcharge us for a space. I remember one time we were about to do an event and the day before the gentleman canceled on us, we were like, why would you do that? Because he had the ability to. So our first and foremost goal was to create a space for nonprofits that is not about to break their bank in terms of having a space to be able to do research, to hold events, whatever they need to do, have meetings. That's the ultimate goal. One is to create a collaborative space for other nonprofits in the area that are looking for events. If they're tired of going to bars and holding tabling events that don't make the money because they're spending it on trying to get into that space, it's for them. Secondly, it's for, and more importantly as well, it's our research space as well. This is where we'll be hosting a lot of our research projects, bringing service members in from everywhere to be able to conduct the research that we need in a private space that's anonymous where they can speak freely, have open discussions about what they're witnessing so that we can get really raw qualitative data to show the impact that our our research is going to have on our development and going forward with advocacy. And it's also on our website. I know I left that part out. (laughs) So that part, our our impact center is also available to, if you want more information, everything is on our website. I love the person that designed it. It makes it so much easier to go there and just be able to one-stop shop uh, for information about what we're doing. So yes, underneath glasssoldier.org, you'll see the Dr. Deandra Poe Impact Center. All right. So now it comes down to a little bit of advice. What is one thing that you would like survivors of military sexual assault to know? Just one thing. (laughs) Okay. How about your top three? (laughs) No, I, I think I can sum it up with one thing and that's don't give up the fight. I personally know the isolation feeling like no one could possibly understand what I'm going through. The nightmares the terrors, the thoughts, the crying, all of that. I called it crumb, C-U-R-M-B, can't really understand my body. That was the only way that I really came to the understanding that I am responding to something that happened to me. It isn't me. So if I could give them anything is 
don't give up the fight. There is someone out there who truly understands you. I truly understand you. And I know that's me saying that to 20,000 service members who may have reported or 10,000 service members, but I truly do understand what you're going through. Just don't give up the fight. How can members of the public support the mission of Glass Soldier? I really need two things, volunteers and funding. <laughs> so I, I really need the pool of talent to be able to, to do the outreach. All right. What do you need volunteers for? So when I need volunteers, I need people from the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Reserves, even the Space Force. I'm going to put you out there. I know Space Force is small and mighty, but I need the Space Force out there too. I need to volunteer service members to come and offer their talents and their services to be able to reach out to service members for two reasons. One, our organization is small. And I think people, when they think of nonprofit, think no profit at all. We are all volunteers right now. That is going to change. And the other thing is because our impact has to be able to reach outside the United States. Our service members are not just here within the 48. We have service members that are stationed overseas, especially right now. You add everything else on top of it. And now in the last couple of weeks, let's add something else on top of what we're dealing with in terms of trauma and mental health. We absolutely need advocates and people to volunteer their talent and their time to do that. Every one of our service members that do volunteer with us, it's confidential. So our board, our advisory board is made up of service members, completely confidential. And for a reason, because we know that retaliation is real. And funding, <laughs> who doesn't need money? There's not a single nonprofit that doesn't need funding. No, what we're trying to do in terms of technology requires the most talented and dedicated people and talented and dedicated people cost money. So yes, we definitely need funders, angel investors, people that, you know, retired and don't have anything else to do with their money. <laughs> There you go. So explain a little bit about what you're trying to do with the technology so we can find volunteers that fit. I would love if we could get people that are good with data analysis. I need statisticians for sure. Anyone who's good at app development, who can understand algorithms and artificial intelligence. I have a, a small fraction of my brain has room for technology. <laughs> well, I have trouble with my iPhone, put it that way. So I definitely need someone who understands it and can put it in layman terms for me, but also can take my vision and make it possible. I know what I want to do and I've got the, the framework for what I want to do. I'm just looking for the pool of people that can take that vision and make it possible. Anything's possible. That's the, the people I'm looking for to know that anything's possible and they're willing to try anything. Absolutely. But that is all the time we have for today. We encourage everyone to follow Glass Soldier on social media at Glass Soldier Org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And they do have a TikTok. <laughs> yeah. You can also learn more about Glass Soldier and support their mission at glasssoldier.org. And we will have links to the social media and the website in the podcast notes. In addition, Glass Soldier has their own podcast, Duty Bound. So we encourage everyone to check that out. Deandra, cannot thank you enough for joining us today and sharing your message and mission. And before we sign off, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for any final thoughts. Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled. I, I say it at 
every meeting that I have, time is a finite resource. So anytime someone gives me their time, I am very, very grateful. So thank you to your listeners for giving me uh, their ear and their time. And thank you for um, extending this invite to me. Of course. Thank you for joining us. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and you can find us on social media at No Gray Zone RRC on Instagram or Twitter and No Gray Zone on Facebook. There are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to being part of a survivor-led conversation. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good.